for the things that there are multiple treatment options, what is one or two like good foundational things to be really good at in case I ever feel like I need to do it? Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. My name is Dr. Max LePage, and I'm here with future Dr. Hannah Lewis. Hey, guys. And we're going to be, this is actually a one-on-one, so we're not actually doing this on a, this is fairly uncommon. Usually we have like three or four people on the episodes, as you guys have probably heard if you've listened to past ones, but this is just kind of a one-on-one. So I think it's going to give us a good opportunity. We're going to do a follow-up to the Student Struggles series where we're going to be talking a little bit more about like the hard practice skills that you maybe want to be more comfortable with coming in as a student. Maybe we'll focus a little bit more on things that uh, you haven't possibly considered as being something to brush up on or to practice before going out into the clinic. And obviously we're talking about more of a sports setting, but just kind of outpatient in general, uh, managing musculoskeletal injuries for folks from pediatrics all the way up to kind of geriatrics, just common musculoskeletal diagnoses. So um, in terms of hard skills, obviously we can talk about skills from an assessment standpoint, things that you would assess, tests and measures, um, functional tests, those types of things, or we can talk about hard skills from a treatment standpoint, whether that's something that you do with your hands, uh, like a hands-on soft tissue, you know, technique or a joint mobilization, manipulation, things you're learning in school, uh, or maybe hands-on or like hard coaching skills, like how to teach movement patterns or teach certain things. Um, So we'll start from like an assessment piece. What were coming into maybe your first few clinicals like what were some of the hard skills that you were told were important and that maybe you still use or that you validated as being like okay these are important skills that I've used um yeah so I feel like well you learn a lot in school you learn a lot of different techniques um obviously a lot of different ways to assess things kind of across the board Uh, But kind of thinking about my first clinical, that was in an assisted living facility. And the majority of that assessment was around like balance and the like big balance tests. So like Berg and mini best and all of that. Um, So I think it's important kind of knowing the setting you're going into and kind of considering what might be important and feeling comfortable with that doesn't mean you have to have it down perfectly I obviously use the score sheet to kind of go off of during those tests because they're very long Um, so that was kind of what my first one was geared toward and then for second and now um, is more of the outpatient ortho and so for those I think it's obviously very important to have a good handle on like the foundational like you have to know how to measure with a goni you have to know how to go through your strength assessment, um, that kind of thing. So just kind of having the foundational things down really good. And then as far as some of the other... Well, so we'll stop there. So you said goniometer, (laughs) 
<laughs> and a strength assessment. Okay, so we'll talk about special tests too. Okay, so goniometer measurements of range of motion, special tests, and strength measurements. Mm. What what do you do with a goniometer, like your range of motion assessments? From a skill standpoint, when are you using that? So for me, I'm using that if I notice a decreased range of motion or side to side, they're different kind of thing. Okay. Like when you're going through a screen and just yeah. assessing general range yeah. of motion. Okay. Is that for every condition, like every person, every condition, every joint? Um, are there only special circumstances where you pull that out? So it definitely depends. Um, obviously, you are going to not assess every single thing <laughs> um, on a patient. That would take forever and would be unnecessary. So obviously, you're going to gear your assessment towards what they're coming in for, kind of the body region involved, that kind of thing. Um, so with the assessment, obviously, you have to kind of have an idea of the direction you want to go towards and kind of gear it off of that. How many times have you measured elbow range of motion? Not often. What about wrist? Wrist? Um, like goni. here or in general? We'll say in the last eight weeks. In the last here eight weeks. in the other place. Um, I've done elbow. I have not done wrist here. Okay. How many times do you think you've done shoulder? Um, quite a bit. Okay. How many times do you think you've done like hip? Hip with a goni, not so much. What about ankle? Ankle, yes, quite a bit. Are there reasons that the goniometer seems to matter for the shoulder, but doesn't seem to matter all that much for the <laughs> hip, knee, elbow, wrist, ankle? Um, like why is it that you're using it yeah. for the shoulder so much and not for other things? Usually there, I don't know, there's more like marked decrease in the joints that I've measured here recently. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's always interesting because I, goniometer is funny because there, there seems to be like this inherent bias from person to person on like which range of motions they just yeah. feel like matter. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's different from person, like I probably measure hip range of motion with a goniometer more than shoulder mm -hmm. just because like hip internal rotations part of the clinical prediction rule for lumbar manipulation and the treatment-based classification so like i'll use that to kind of you know com compose that uh clinical prediction rule i don't use it a ton for shoulder because i don't have a like an objective criteria to then use that information to synthesize it in a way that i felt like was valuable um, maybe a little bit more when I have like a baseball player coming in just to see like their obviously throwing arm. We expect there to be some adaptive changes, but it's funny because I think that, you know, you learn so many ways to measure different joints with a goniometer in school. And then as a skill in the clinic, I mean, I know like through residency and things like that, I don't know that a lot of the clinicians who I'm rubbing elbows with even ever use a goniometer maybe with the exception of post-op circumstances 
and certainly folks might disagree like that's you should be using it more it's an important measure i think it's important to look at range of motion i don't know how important the actual like measurement is uh, obviously having an a like a trackable outcome might be valuable but even then like how often are you worried about increasing range of motion as part of your reassessment is that a goal for you with a lot of patients um i would say not with a ton so what percentage of patients where you do measure range of motion do you care about the range of motion increasing um not as many as you would think i guess so then why do you feel compelled to measure it so i will say i think part of it too i don't know if you felt this way as a student but just being a student, you know, trying to be as thorough as I can um, in the assessment and obviously practicing this skill as a student is important to me. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think early on that that's like a very reasonable, like early on, you're probably going to do things that you know you don't need to do for this person, mm -hmm. but you're just trying to get in the groove of like, going through a full assessment, not forgetting things, mm -hmm. really being comfortable, you know, swinging the goni around and being efficient in that. So yeah, that might be reason enough to do some of the skills early on. Um, I, I was lucky when I was a student, I, I wasn't necessarily with clinicians who, you know, emphasized that too much. I was kind of like, hey, do you think you need to do that? Is it important? And then make a decision based on that. Uh, I think it's hard early on to try to make decisions about what range of motion is important and what is not. But it's funny that like when you think of setting goals, you obviously need some objective criteria for goals. And when you take objective measurements, the reason you're taking them is to track progress towards those goals. Yet it's fairly rare that a clinician would make the argument that increasing the degrees of range of motion is relevant to any of the goals. And so why do we feel so compelled to measure it objectively? And that's a circumstance where I think it's worth considering, like, am I pulling out this goniometer because I'm going to care that this measurement changes? If I am not going to care, then probably, you know, a visual assessment of percent of full range of motion mm -hmm. might be enough for me to, you know, inform maybe a little bit about what I'm doing rather than needing an objective measurement. That's certainly going to be different when you're looking at like ACL or just post-op things in general, where there, there are maybe protocols, the physician does want to see certain numbers and maybe a range of motion is a goal specifically in those contexts. But for other people just in pain, I think it's, it's an interesting skill because like as I'm going through and teaching at Jefferson right now, they are learning all of these goniometric measurements. And it's funny because some of them, it's just like, I would never measure that um, outside of like a very bizarre circumstance. So what about um, strength? What are you measuring there? So strength is another interesting one to me. Um, obviously I try to go through strength with pretty much everyone. Um, and I think more recently, I've kind of broadened what I think of it. Um, 
from being here. And so part of that is obviously the, again, you need an, something objective. You're looking you know, side to side, seeing if there's differences. And then um, just kind of as a whole, like how is their muscle recruitment can they hold it? You know, I've I've seen PTs in the past just kind of like crank and let off. You know, what are you getting from that? Yeah. So. Yeah, and when it comes to like a strength assessment with an MMT, right? I think that it doesn't give you a ton of information truly about strength. Mm-hmm. It gives you a little bit more information about kind of subjective willingness to move yeah. or willingness to resist and maybe information about pain reproduction based on certain patterns of exertion. Um, I think for me, one of the, the skills that I'm continuing to try to refine how I'm going to use it, incorporate it, and that I think is worth it for students to practice early, as early as possible, if they have the equipment available, is using a dynamometer. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out ways to assess strength more objectively and that can be using a dynamometer with your resistance during an MMT to see at what force does it, do they finally like lose their position or break or using it with some kind of a setup that can allow them to, you know, do an isometric mid thigh pull. So if you have an opportunity to set that up against a strap that they're standing on, they're basically halfway up a deadlift and doing an isometric mid thigh pull that way a setting it up for an isometric knee extension strength looking at like limb symmetry index or using a dynamometer to like do an upper body pull or an upper body push i think those are slept on assessment (laughs) assessment strategies particularly for students because a lot of times obviously they're focused on getting kind of the basic skills down but even just getting comfortable with the dynamometer is something that you can do while you go through all of the regular mmt type of skills but gets you at least comfortable using a device that will allow you to then transition to maybe a little bit more practical, objective application down the road. Um, and then what about special tests mm. from the skills <laughs> standpoint? What are you? What are your recommendations for students on that? I definitely think you need to know your special tests, but I think more importantly, you need to know what are they telling you and what are they not telling you and how are you going to if you choose to do certain special tests how are you going to synthesize that in your other with your other assessment information in order to create the most accurate picture yeah so definitely like being able to assign meaning to the special test is important particularly as a student so that you're not getting lost Mm -hmm. on like oh, I did this crappy labrum test and they had pain and now I don't know what to do. Like, do they have a labrum tear? And like, you're not, you don't understand how to synthesize that because you're not aware that maybe it's a very sensitive test that's not very specific. And so the information you're getting actually is rather Mm. meaningless. Um, And so I definitely think that going into your rotation with a good understanding of like, okay, what are the special tests for each body region that are either say part of a cluster, like for you know rotator cuff tendonopathy or shoulder impingement, or um, 
you know, if not part of a cluster, what tests do have high specificity or high sensitivity? Um, like for the shoulder, right? If I'm looking at instability or dislocation, like apprehension relocation, that's probably going to be my go-to based on, you know, the sensitivity and specificity there. So I'm going to do that one and I won't get lost in maybe some of the other, you know, other signs out there or other tests that exist for that similar thing. So I feel like going going in with a more narrow list of like, these are the ones that I know I'll be able to draw meaning from. Mm -hmm. Let me get really good at these specific skills. And then the other special tests, like maybe I practice them for the sake of practice. But I think refining the, the kind of quality tests there that you will be able to gather some information from is is beneficial so even just writing out a list of like okay what are the shoulder tests i would use based on if it's you know painful unstable neck related to rule that in or out or whatever so um and then what about treatment wise we'll just touch on this before we kind of wrap it up uh, any hard skills in terms of treatment that you maybe came into the clinic that you feel are important that you are not sufficiently prepared in? Um, I feel like that's a tough one. Because for me in school, we learned so many techniques. And the way that you learn them, obviously, you're preparing for practical. So you're worried about the exact correct setup, the exact correct direction of force, which is very important. But And the force, your hand placement, you're just concerned about all these things. And then by the time you get into the clinic, for me, at least, it's like, what, what do I even remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I've kind of tried to focus on is for the things that there are multiple treatment options, what is one or two like good foundational things to be really good at in case I ever feel like I need to do it? So for me, I'm trying to narrow in on being really good at a few things as opposed to just knowing a ton of things. Yeah, and I think that that is, that's a really good recommendation, especially, I mean, we've talked about some of the manual therapy kind of literature in terms of what predicts positive outcomes with that and looking at it more from a patient expectation and contextual factor side in terms of are you able to confidently, you know, do these techniques and i think that the best bang for your buck is to really like you said pick one or two cervical kind of mobilization techniques that you are confident with one or two thoracic mobilization or manipulation techniques and then one or two lumbar maybe even just one like a, a sideline rotational manip or something like that that you're confident and comfortable doing if you deem that it's appropriate to do so you can pick a technique and the contextual factors that probably influence the patient's improvement more than the specificity of the technique anyways will be there because you will be able to just confidently do that technique, knock it out, get through it. The patient knows that you did whatever you did comfortably. You didn't cause any discomfort. And all of those things are in line and you were able to successfully complete it. It probably didn't matter which technique you chose anyways as long as you did something in that region with you know, confidence, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to say the same thing. Like when it comes to manual techniques, just be comfortable with, you know, cervical, thoracic and lumbar mobilizations, manipulations, just a couple of them and practice those whenever you get the chance. 
Um, but apart from that, you know, I don't, I personally don't use a ton of like soft tissue stuff. Um, and I just, again, I think that there's probably not a ton that needs to be practiced there. Um, just because it's not going to be something that you probably use incredibly often or, or deem necessary or valuable. So, uh, yeah, I think that just sticking with a couple techniques for each region is going to be your best bet. And then it's going to be really from like the coaching standpoint of exercise, I think is the other hard skill that's going to be way more important in terms of being able to modify your exercise selection to, you know, redistribute load, change what the person's feeling, find ways to introduce a stimulus that, you know, they can do maybe without pain. I think those are going to be the hard skills that are much more valuable and much more difficult to kind of discuss on a podcast because it's very individual uh, based on the patient and the circumstance. So if you guys have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to us at Precision Performance PT uh, on Instagram or on our website. And you can always kind of get in touch with me if you want to discuss further at maxlepage.dpt on Instagram. Uh, SPT.hannah. And yeah, feel free to reach out to either of us if you have any questions. Hopefully this provided some insight on kind of where to go in terms of approaching the hard skills as a student going into your clinical rotations. Um, And again, if you have any questions, reach out to us. But otherwise, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and we'll talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming, one-on-one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals? If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.